U.S. Arab Radio Network presents Season 3 of the Ray Hanania Radio Show, sponsored by Arab News, the leading English-language newspaper in the Middle East. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist Ray Hanania explores issues facing Arab Americans on WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit and on WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. And now, your host, Ray Hanania. Watch the show live on Arab News Facebook page. All right, welcome to the Ray Hanania Radio Show. I am Ray Hanania. It is Wednesday, July 12, 2023, and this is Season 3, Episode 11. We're brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region, the leading English-language newspaper in the Middle East. Arab News at ArabNews.com is an award-winning newspaper covering the Middle East with bureaus in Paris, London, Islamabad, Tokyo, and coverage in the United States where I am their U.S. special correspondent. Our radio show focuses on the Arab American community and on their issues, and also uh, touching on Middle East coverage from a U.S. and American perspective. Our interviews today involve two guests. The first is Illinois State Representative Abdul Nasser Rashid, who will share with us his harrowing experience of having visited his heritage homeland of Tormus Saya in Palestine, in the Israeli-occupied West Bank, with his family and children. And I say harrowing because while he was visiting his family uh, in the village at Tormosaya, the village came under attack by these armed extremist Jewish settlers who've been rampaging through the West Bank, targeting Muslim and Christian villages, burning down homes, burning down buildings, burning down cars, beating up the civilians, destroying their olive trees, um, and uh, um, shooting several people. Several of these Palestinians were killed. And this fits into this violence where the few days before that, before he got there in the middle of June, four Israelis were killed by Palestinians who shot these four Israelis dead. Um, And that followed a uh, series of weeks of violence in which Israeli settlers, these armed settlers, uh, because the Palestinians legally cannot carry weapons, but the Israeli settlers can and they do, and they can stop anybody that they want. They killed something like 24 Palestinians in the two weeks prior to the shooting. So it's hard to say when the violence starts, who started it, what began. It's just a continuing cycle of violence where Palestinians are killing Israelis, Israelis are killing Palestinians, and uh, it's just uh, fueling the intensity. So uh, Abdul Nasser Rashid, what made that interesting was he's an elected uh, Illinois state representative. He represents a district in the city of uh, of Chicago and in the Chicago suburbs, including in Bridgeview and some of those communities. And because of his stature, this uh, violence got some attention. Had it not been for the fact that he was a state legislature, the media would have completely ignored that story. And then after the break, we'll talk with uh, our second guest, Steve Metch, a freelance journalist based in Illinois who recently covered the killing of two Arabs in New York City. One was a victim of a wild rampage. He was a 86-year-old Yemeni uh, grandfather of something like, I don't know, 100 people. 
sons, daughters, wife, grandkids, great grandkids. Uh, and this uh, suspect just shot him and shot several other people in a rampage for no reason. Um, and plus, we'll look into the uh, killing of a Jordanian American in New York City who was the victim of an attack on while he was working in his store. According to uh, Steve Metch, he spoke uh, to the police in New York, and they told him that they didn't believe that either of these people, the Yemeni victim or the Jordanian victim, were intentionally targeted because they're Arab. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break um, and uh, before we get into these interviews. So just hang tight. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. What's my ETA? Your estimated time of arrival is 9.17. I'm late. I'll have to punch it. Speeding will save you just one minute and 36 seconds. It will also increase your risk of a crash, as well as the odds that you will be stopped and issued an expensive speeding ticket. Yeah, but... In one year, there were 22,000 speeding-related crashes in Michigan, resulting in 200 deaths. If I had someone in the car with me, I'd drive slower. But it's just me. This is not a logical response. Though you have no passenger, surrounding cars contain 27 others, including five children and one Labrador retriever. <laughs> How do you know all this stuff? I know everything, Kevin. Your risk of a crash increases with every mile you drive over the speed limit. So slow down. Speed enforcement is happening now. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. Life for Relief and Development has now been rated as one of the best charities for humanitarian aid. Life's humanitarian projects span the globe, and Life is celebrating its 30th anniversary of providing essential life-saving aid to people and communities in 36 countries, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. Where there is life, there is hope. And when disaster occurs here or around the world, including being one of the first responders to the Turkey-Syria earthquake crisis, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. We are looking to help the earthquake victims, and we take 0% overhead on emergency donations. So please help improve these efforts. Learn more about our involvement to help the helpless and bring hope where it's needed most. And make your tax-deductible donation to Life for Relief and Development now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. That's 248-424-7493. My guest right now is Abdul Nasser Rashid, who was elected to the Illinois State Legislature representing the southwest side, southwest suburban region of the 21st Illinois District last November 2022. Uh, the first Palestinian, he is, I'm sorry, he is also the first Palestinian to serve in the Illinois House, which has some 118 House members and, and 59 Senate members on the other side of the aisle. And he also is Muslim. And I know there are a couple Muslims in the legislature. Abdul Nasser Rashid, thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Arab Radio. Ray, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we'd love to have you on. And I know you've been involved in a couple issues that I want to get into. But first, 
tell us a little, let's introduce you to the audience. A lot of people in Detroit, uh, Washington, D.C., and some of the Arabs from around the country, I know they've heard of you, but let's talk a little bit about you real quick. Give us a little background about yourself, your family. Uh, Tell us about your election career and your recent election to the General Assembly in Illinois. Yeah, thanks so much. So um, for for viewers who are getting to know me for the first time, uh, my name is Abdel Nasser Rashid. I was uh, elected in November of 2022 to um, the Illinois House of Representatives, uh, becoming the first Palestinian-American elected to the Illinois General Assembly. And along with my um, fantastic colleague, uh, Representative Nabila Sayed, um, one of the first two Muslims um, in the in the legislature. I was born in Chicago, um, uh, but spent six years as a kid living um, in Palestine, which we'll get back to, I know, in, in a little bit. Um, I went to Harvard University, came back to, uh, home to Chicago, and spent about 10 years working um, in the public sector, uh, four years in Cook County uh, with former Cook County clerk David Orr. Before that, I worked in the immigrant rights movement um, worked for uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign, Chuy Garcia's campaigns, uh, and then ran for office several times um, because I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to lift up uh, my community um, and my state. I was really uh, honored that the um, people of the 21st District sent me to Springfield. We just wrapped up our first legislative session where we passed a budget that's both fiscally responsible and that uplifts working families, that invests in education, that invests in healthcare, um, and that protects our environment. Uh, so that's a little bit about me, and um, yeah. you know, it's just been it's been such a wonderful experience. And I know you have a lot of support from the Arab American community, but also from the non-Arab community. A lot of the non-Arab American community have supported you also. So you're doing pretty well for a guy you've only been in now, what, about, uh, we're talking seven months, I think, right? You're going into your eighth month soon? Yeah, well, actually, I was sworn in in January. So it's it's been about, it's been six months now. All right. Uh, now, tell us a little bit about your visit uh, first uh, back home. Your family's from Tormasaya. You went back there in June um, to visit with uh, family um, that's where your family is from. Tell us what happened while you were there. Yeah, so I grew up in the village of Tormasaya, which is um, near Ramallah, um, only 25 miles from Jerusalem. I lived here when I was a kid from ages 5 to 11. I did all of my elementary schooling here. Um, and I have been back then, since then. I a few weeks ago, came with my wife and our three kids um, to visit my parents and to visit relatives here in Tormasaya. Uh, and on Wednesday, June 21st, June 21st, I get a call from my mom saying, uh, hey, where are you? Um, settlers are attacking our village. I was in Ramallah at the time running some errands and we start getting videos and she tells me they're burning homes, they're burning cars um, and people are being attacked. And my heart dropped because um, one, I wasn't there to help protect my parents and other family members. Uh, and the videos were just um, shocking and horrific um, of hundreds of armed settlers attacking the village. And unfortunately, one young man was killed. Um, he is married to a US citizen and they have two young children. So that was Wednesday the 21st. The very next day, around 7.30 PM, I get a text message um, saying, uh, in all caps, the settlers are back. They're right here. Send help. They're coming. 
Wow. And my heart dropped there too, because that message came from, from one of my neighbors. It came from next door to me, like a few doors down from me. And I, um, we immediately started hearing people running in the street and screaming. One person was coming um, uh, to, to different houses and saying, flee your homes. And as we actually got ready, my, my wife um, packed a bag with our important documents and, and our computers, and we started getting ready to go. And then we hear the gunshots. So um, we and we had to change our strategy. Now it was no longer safe to go to leave the house. We had to stay inside the house. And we uh, bolted the doors and barricaded them. We closed windows. We started making a safety plan, trying to decide should we go upstairs or down. Um, and really in that moment, we didn't know, I didn't know whether we would live or die. Wow. That was had to be scary. That had to be frightening. It was it was scary and it was heartbreaking. My my kids are with me and my my seven-year-old daughter, she's turned eight since then. Her her birthday was just a few days ago. But um she clung she clung to me and she said, Dad, what do we do if we get shot? Yikes. How do you answer a little kid like that? That is really rough. Um, and then, I, I, and how long did this go on? I, I know that we see these stories from the West Bank. Tor Messiah happened to be one of the targets, I guess, of this gang of uh, armed settlers who were roaming around. Um, and from my understanding, with the support, as it turns out, um, you know, of the Israeli Defense Forces, many of them, not all of them, but many of them watching while these settlers were rampaging through you know, West Bank villages like the one where you were at. Yeah, so Tormos Aya wasn't the only village attacked. They've attacked um, dozens of villages uh, in the last few weeks. And back in February, they um, uh, hundreds of them also attacked the village of Hawara near Nablus and um, burned, uh, uh, you know, burned many houses and also killed some people. And in fact, one high-level Israeli minister um, has called to wipe the village of Hawara off the map, yeah. in his words. Yeah. Uh, so what we are describing, like you just said, Ray, is violence that is supported and even encouraged by the state. The Israeli Minister of Defense, Etamar Ben-Gavir, is calling settlers on Israeli settlers living in illegal settlements to take up arms against Palestinians. He said, we will be killing more Palestinians. Yeah. And, you know, and then, obviously we, we get into this issue where anytime you criticize Israel, you get in trouble, you're called anti-Semitic, but you're being very specific. Like a lot of people, we're talking about government actions. I criticize our government all the time. Nobody calls me any names. But when you criticize a government that happens to be even a foreign government, for some reason, this one government, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. We're going to be attacked. But I think you've been very specific. Um, you're a civilian. And had you not been an elected legislator, I'm not sure this story would have gotten the attention of the media that it has. And I think that's a special role that you have that others should see that once you're in elected office, you can elevate these issues to help bring out the truth as you are doing. What we are doing here is um, criticizing a country that is carrying out a violent military occupation um, and that is committing human rights abuses uh, and has been doing so for a very long time. And, you know, 
while what's happening here is absolutely horrific, I am heartened to see that American public opinion has shifted dramatically on this issue. When you look at the surveys um, and polling done by um, uh, Pew and others, it has been um, it's absolutely is very clear that more and more Americans understand what is happening and support Palestinian human rights and want to see our country take action to hold Israel accountable. You were very factual. You sent a letter that I thought was very factual, that was devoid of uh, politics, um, and that focused on the issues of how you as a civilian and a member and colleague of the Illinois legislature, 119 uh, representatives, including your, 118 representatives, including yourself and 59 Senate members, you sent a letter detailing what happened. And I thought it was a moving letter and important for other colleagues to read. What did, what kind of response did you get? You know, it's been an incredible response from my colleagues. Um, I know it may not, may not all be public, but people are including in the Illinois legislature um, and of course, colleagues in other units of government, whether in um, in the city government, county government, or even Congress, um, are horrified about what's happening. And and I think there is a greater awareness. Like I said, the American public opinion has shifted, and so has um, uh, knowledge and concern about this issue among elected officials. And so, you know, I'm, I'm I've been very um, uh, just grateful to my colleagues for their messages of concern and of support. Um, and they've been asking, what can we do to help? And I, I truly appreciate that. And, and I think that's important. I know I reached out to a lot of legislators and, you know, tried to get some reaction. They all, most of them, I would say, almost all of them that I, that responded to me were very sympathetic. This is a terrible thing. You're there with your family. You didn't do anything. You were just there in the middle of a act of violence that was being committed by um, these settlers, these roving bands of settlers that roam around the West Bank. and uh, But they were so afraid to go on record publicly, and I can understand that. But you're right. There was a lot of support um, for you, and I think a lot of sympathy for the letter um, that really detailed what happened. What? Let me ask you, let, let's take it to the next level. I know ADC announced that they were going to look into anything. Were you ever able to hear anything more from them in terms of them being able to do anything? Um, you know, I, I've met with many international organizations who've come to Tormosaya to look at the damage that was done. Um, we met with some officials from the State Department um, and, of course, um, journalists who've come to cover what's happened here. And, you know, at a minimum, what needs to happen immediately is the perpetrators of the attack need to be held accountable. I believe Israel's arrested four or five out of the several hundred settlers that invaded our village. Um, I believe they know who the soldier or police officer is who killed who killed the young man in my village. Uh, I don't believe he has been prosecuted. So accountability is absolutely important. But let me let me be completely honest. Palestinians are not holding their breath. No one right. is expecting Israel to hold people accountable. It, it does not have that kind of track record. It actively um, encourages violence against Palestinians. And the attacks against my village and against other villages were advertised publicly. But the Israeli military 
did nothing to intervene. They looked the other way. Yeah, this it's almost like there's a January 6th riot taking place every day or every other day there. Um, and the public knows about it. The government knows about it. The Israeli government should have known about it. Um, and uh, they're responsible for the people that live there. Um, and they should have stopped it. And I agree. Historically, we've seen these things come and go. Americans have been killed. Nothing's been done like Shireen Abu Akhla. She was killed uh, over a year ago. And we still haven't seen justice in that case. It's a real tragedy. And again, I'm emphasizing to my listeners, um, we're talking about government policies. We're talking about policies that are wrong. doesn't matter who they are, um, who is behind the violence. So nobody should be allowed to say, oh, you're criticizing Israel. There must be something wrong with that. That still is a terrible wall that they hide behind rather than to answer some of the issues. But I know that there are a lot of Jewish legislators and uh, Jewish activists here have been very supportive and are very angry with what's happening back there. Tell it, what do you think needs to be done? I mean, obviously, it's not something the Illinois legislature can do. But uh, what, what do you think needs to be done to bring this to a point where we can move forward in a positive, you know, peaceful direction? You know, the, the question the United States needs to ask itself, the U.S. government needs to ask itself is how do we remove obstacles to peace? How do we move, remove barriers to peace and give well, close to four billion dollars in military funding every single year? That's certainly not the solution. That doesn't help advance the cause of peace. That doesn't help the situation. That enables Israel to do what it's doing. Um, giving Israel international diplomatic protection in the United Nations and at the International Criminal Court, that is not something that is helpful to advance the cause of peace. So the United States needs to examine its role um, and really reevaluate the military funding that we're providing to Israel. Now, obviously, you're not a member of the Congress where a lot of these issues are decided, but you are a member of the Illinois General Assembly. Illinois, unfortunately, was one of the first two states, I think, maybe three states, um, to adopt a law that punishes citizens, American citizens, who criticize and support a boycott of Israel's government. Um, and that has been expanded um, I spoke to Dima Rashidi a number of uh, uh, weeks ago, and she said it's increased from 27 now to 35 American states that have passed these so-called anti-BDS laws, which in various ways deny Americans, regardless of your race or religion, from criticizing a foreign government. Uh, it's unheard of. I've never heard of that before. Is there anything that can be done about the Illinois BDS law? Yes, and I, I have started that conversation with my colleagues, and um, I, I expect that there will be real interest in taking on this issue. Um, the Illinois law, there, you know, there are many different laws across the country, um, very um, ill-advised um, anti-BDS laws. Uh, many of them do target individuals, like you said, and um, uh, directly, directly um, punish people who are critical of Israel or who refuse to sign documents saying that they will not boycott Israel. In Illinois, what they did is they instructed the pension fund to, what the law does is it has the pension fund penalize companies that choose to boycott Israel. And so 
Correct. A company like Ben and Jerry's that right. that re recently decided to take the moral stance of not selling ice cream in Israel's illegal settlements. Um, they got penalized by the Illinois Pension Board for that action. Uh, that is wrong. That puts the state of Illinois on the wrong side of history. That impairs the ability of Palestinians and our and, and allies from working toward um, uh, supporting uh, the cause of Palestinian freedom and the cause of peace. So that is a conversation I am having with my colleagues, um, and I look forward to the progress that we're going to make on this. And, and I think listeners should understand that when we're talking about the pension funds, we are talking about money that was taken from taxpayers, you, me, everybody else, paid by the government into these pension funds that were obligations that the government made to all these people. Um, and so we're not talking about just money that's like independent of taxpayers. This is money that is uh, that the pension funds and the state can decide how they invest their money to help businesses. So if I happen to have a business and I qualify for a loan from the pension fund under this legislation, I can't get it unless I sign a letter that says I will not boycott Israel. And personally, I think that is a violation of the U.S. Constitution. And I'm so glad to hear you um, that you've begun the conversation. It needs to be done in a smart way. And I think you're the exact person that needs to open that door. And for our community, your election was perfect timing. And we're expecting a lot um, from you on that. Tell, I know there's so many other things to do uh, that you're working on legislation. I know there's the MENA bill. Um, tell us about some of the other things that you're going to be that you are working on that you think are important to uh, our listeners, especially in Illinois. Yeah, so uh, my office, we just launched uh, four citizen advisory councils so that I, I can get input from my constituents and people who work in the district on education, on the environment, on small business um, uh, and on what was the what was the last one? I'm it's escaping me, but it's on our website. Very important to me that we um, that I hear from people directly about about their concerns, so that we could I could take that and help and use it to help shape my legislative agenda um, next year. Oh, the last one was on immigrant rights. That was the, the council it. advisory council. I'd forget. Um, now we, I, I had a very ambitious legislative uh, agenda uh, as I entered the Illinois House, and I got uh, six laws um, passed um, and, and and expecting to be signed into law by the governor. One of them is uh, would expand affordable housing options. Another one um, increases uh, uh, would would help support dual language programs in our public schools. Um, and several others. One of them that's near and dear to uh, the Arab community is one that adds the checkbox for, for Middle Eastern North African um, on state forms so that we can finally count the Arab community and other minorities from the Middle East. As I'm sure you're aware, uh, Ray and others yeah. who are listening, when you fill out the census and when you fill out many other forms and you have to indicate what your race is, you, we often feel invisible. We are invisible. Yes. There is no box for us to check. Right. And and we get defaulted to white and we get denied the ability to understand the needs of our community, um, the statistics about our community. How many students are there in public schools or in universities? What, how do we fare in public health? How do we fare in business? Um, all of this critical data is completely absent, is not even being collected for Arab Americans. And I'm very, very proud to share that 
and Illinois will be the first state in the country to start collecting that data on state forms. And the, you know, you know, I've had this discussion. Personally, I've, I've been involved in this immigrate, uh, the census issue for really 40 years. We began by wanting the word Arab placed on the U.S. census at the federal level. I think what you're doing in Illinois is a great step towards the bigger problem that we have nationally. Uh, but why not? Why, why not just say Arab? I mean, there are a lot of people that think that we yeah, don't say Arab. Question. We say Mina because people there are a lot of people that don't like Arab, but they're willing to deal with the word Mina in the legislature. And I'm not saying Arabs. I'm saying non-Arabs. They just some of them just don't like us. And I'm wondering, is why not the word Arab rather than Mina? You know, Ray, I, I really don't think that it's because of of people liking or disliking us. I think um, just like you, Asian or uh, uh, Hispanic and others refer to geographic regions for the most part, um, Middle Eastern North African captures Arabs and others from the Middle East who would still be considered white who are not, for example, um, Assyrians, for example, uh, Turks or people from Iran. Right. Uh, the Middle East has a very, very large number of Arabs, of course, that's where Arabs uh, live. But there are also other groups that are not Arab who are who who would be left out if if it said Arab and not Middle Eastern. Um, how about and, and also North African, where you have Berbers, for example. How about defining the word Mina to include a lot of these things? Because I know that the Hispanic category is defined at many different levels. Even the black category, uh, African-Americans, uh, they're defined at many different levels. Has there been any thought about taking the word category Mina and then subcategorizing it to include the word Arab? Um, to me, as an Arab, yes. I want to see that word there. So I'm wondering if that's been discussed. Well, there there is actually a very active effort on the federal level to um, define the word MENA. And I know that the Office of Management and Budget um, recently put out a call for public comment. I was one of those who submitted um, comment on, the, on that, as well as other uh, organizations nationally and locally. Um, we we did not define it in the Illinois statute because um, once the federal government defines it, it's going to be important that we follow the federal definition. Um, so that that is an active uh, uh, issue right now, and I would encourage anyone who's listening who cares about it to contact your member of Congress or go and look for that public comment. I'm not sure if it's still open, but you can still you can still make sure that your voice is heard on how you'd like Mina defined. All right. We've been really honored to have our guest, Abdul Nasser Rashid, uh, the Illinois state legislator representing the 21st district, um, which includes a number of southwest suburban and I think part of the city of Chicago or just the suburbs. Um, I uh, have the southwest side of Chicago, um, uh, parts of Garfield Ridge neighborhood. Got it. And, and mostly suburban um, from Berwyn and Cicero down to Bridgeview. You're a great representative. It's so glad. I'm so happy to see you in the legislature. So many Arabs have tried to win seats there going back all the way back to the 1990s. Um, it's great to see you break that glass ceiling. Abdul Nasser Rashid, my guest, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Ray. And this is Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue the radio show here at WNZK AM 690 Radio and WDMV AM 700 Radio in Detroit and Washington, D.C. 
uh, broadcast on the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. With more than 30,000 successful in vitro fertilizations, IVF Michigan is now ranked as one of America's best fertility clinics according to Newsweek magazine. IVF Michigan fertility centers are the recognized leaders in high quality fertility care. With locations in Bloomfield Hills and nine other cities in Michigan and Ohio, IVF has experts in all aspects of the field. A founding member, American Board Certified Dr. Nicholas Shama, is one of the leading reproductive endocrinologists in Michigan and Ohio. He has performed over 20,000 successful IVF cases and it's helped thousands of couples fulfill their dreams of parenthood. When it's time to get personalized care from Dr. Nicholas Shama at one of America's best fertility clinics, call IVF Michigan Fertility Centers in Michigan and Ohio toll-free at 855-952-9600. 855-952-9600. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bonham serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CDC guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. Were you recently at the emergency room, urgent care, or at your doctor's office being told you need a hand, wrist, or elbow specialist? At the Katranji Hand Center, we offer the latest techniques in hand, wrist, and elbow care. From sports injuries to work injuries to everyday hand, wrist, and elbow problems, the specialists at Katranji Hand Center are here to get you back on track. Call us in Troy today at 248-869-4263 or visit us at katranjihandcenter.com to schedule your appointment today. And uh, now I want to introduce my uh, audience to Steve Metch. He's a freelance journalist in Illinois who recently covered the killing of two Arab Americans in New York City. One that was a victim, I think, of wanton, you know, uh, just arbitrary violence. Uh, I don't think he was a target, but uh, Steve can let us know what happened. The other uh, involved an attack on the grocer who or the store owner, and both of them were killed. Plus, we'll look at the increasing violence across America in cities like New York and in Chicago, where Steve and I both live. And the city of Chicago, by the way, has been ravaged by unprecedented levels of violence. This past weekend was unbelievable. Steve, listen, welcome to the Ray Hanania radio show. Well, I've, I've been a journalist since uh, 1982. And uh, so it's 40, well, 41 years started in sports at a little paper outside Chicago and Crystal Lake and did features in Decatur, Illinois, which some may know is in the center of Illinois. And then did 25 years with the Daily Southtown, covering all kinds of stories, features, sports, news, you name it. And now I'm a freelancer since 2016. Again, can't get out of the business. It's in my blood, I guess. 
Yeah, and uh, most of these papers are in the Chicagoland area, correct? In Illinois. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The ones I work for now, uh, there's a small paper in Summit, Illinois. There's a paper called the Naperville Sun. There's a chain, uh, Shaw Publications. They cover various suburbs. So yeah, I'm still still doing it and uh, writing a lot. <laughs> yeah. All right, well that's good. So you you really know how to cover a story now, and plus. Uh, You've been uh, writing for Arab News, which is the uh, leading English language newspaper in the Gulf and the Middle East. Um, and you covered a story that just happened. It's kind of a tragic story in New York City, right? About two Arab Arabs. American men who were killed. Tell us a little bit about what happened there. And then well, uh, let's I, go into some of the details if we can. I uh, I did not get to New York, but I covered this uh, online through various right. uh, publications Uh uh, a very sad, sad situation. Two Arab American men. One was an 86 year old man from Yemen. The other was a Jordanian man, age 35. Uh, the the older man, he was a victim of some crazed shooter riding around New York and Brooklyn on a uh, scooter, randomly shooting people. Ray, yikes! Um, it's not. I don't think this was an intended targeted victim. He just saw a man and shot him in the back. This was the Yemeni uh, guy, right? Hamoud Saeed. Yeah. I think 86 yes. years old, just 86, shot. And he was he, walking to his mosque to pray when this knucklehead shoots him in the back. And, and he was taken to a hospital, to Jamaica Hospital in, in New York, and he was pronounced dead there. And he, this uh, is, suspect, I guess, was what, 25 years old? And he had a weapon. Twenty-five years old, worked as a delivery guy for a restaurant. And he's on a scooter. He's on a scooter firing. And when he get, was taken into custody without incident, they found a nine-millimeter gun in his possession. Uh, he murdered the one gentleman, injured two others. Let me find. I, I had a story. Yeah, I know um, that uh, Saidi, if I re recall, he just immigrated from the U.S. from Yemen's capital, and well, actually, not just, but. He's been here like almost 60 years. He came here in uh, right, right. According to his son. Yeah, he, he came here in 62. So he came here for a new, better life, you know, and a life that was tragically ended by this this man shooting him at random. <laughs> and um, it's just terrible. For, for no uh, reason at all. You just walk into his mosque from right. his home, 86 years old, probably spent a good part of his life in this country, probably doing very, very well. And all of a sudden, yeah. bam. It's over. Yeah, this 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 guy, I, I know he's in police custody, of course. Uh, they took him in without incident. He's charged of, with one you know, count of murder, two counts of attempted murder, uh, because he shot two other people with his gun. Um, so he was, yeah, they said something like there were like six shootings, but right, it was one, one missed, uh, one shooting incident missed intended, but also shot with 21 year old man in the shoulder. 44-year-old man in the cheek, critical condition. A 40-year-old man was shot at, not injured. A 63-year-old man shot in the right shoulder. And uh, the police talked, New York Post to talk to his uh, roommate, who really noticed nothing strange about the guy, but evidently something went off inside his head. I don't know. And the, and this guy, I think the police, right, they identified the shooter as Thomas Abreu? Yes. That's yes, a popular 45. sports name. Right. Popular pop, pop. sports name. When you hear that name, you think, wow, good baseball. Yeah. You don't think of violence. 
Now I think about our old buddy, Jose Abreu, who used to play for the White Sox. Yes, for a while. He was a good baseball player. But this guy, I, I'm assuming he's uh, from the Dominican Republic. Right. That's what I, and uh, he's here in the States. Did the police ever say, do we know why he went on this shooting spree? Or is this this new thing in America where guns are the new entertainment? They just shoot people because the violence well, level has been terrible. Uh, we know where we live, Ray. Uh, it's a... When you go downtown to Chicago, as your head on a swivel, mine is. Yeah, no, um, you got to be really careful. Yeah, um, they don't have a motive yet. Uh, he is in custody. Uh, I talked to a, a police spokesman Monday and just confirmed all the charges and uh, the basics of it. But there's no motive, and it's just it's sad indictment of our country that this happens on a far too regular basis. Yeah, and tell it. Can you give us a rundown on what he's been charged with? This uh, suspect oh, yeah. that the New York police have arrested in the shooting of this Yemeni American, eighty-six years old, been in the country since nineteen sixty-two. Hamu Saidi is the guy's name, and mm-hmm. there's a big Yemeni community in Chicago. There's a big Yemeni community in Detroit, and I think there's a big Yemeni community in New York City. But he wasn't targeted because he was Arab, correct? No, I know right. they don't believe he was. This is just random. You're right. walking along the street, minding your day on a Saturday afternoon in New York City, which I'm sure it was a beautiful summer day, and uh, you get shot. Wow. And uh, what what are, what are some of the charges? Okay, the police spokesman on Monday told me that Abreu had been charged with murder, two counts of attempted murder, and six counts of criminal possession of a weapon. Now that, for our, our listeners, is... If you have a gun in your possession and you use it, there's a criminal possession, six counts. So you fired it six times, at least. So every time um, you fire the weapon uh, intending to hurt somebody, that's a uh, criminal charge. Yeah. And then yeah. He, he killed somebody, and then he may have yep. injured two others. Those are the other Right. One man was in critical condition. I haven't checked yet today on how he's doing, but one man was in critical condition, shot in the cheek. You can wow. imagine what that did. Um, now, I know, and then... Um, in New York City, again, again, in a separate shooting, there was a Jordanian man. I think his name was Bassem Abdul Rahman Al Khatib. He's the father right. of two kids. He was right. shot and killed when this time when two masked men entered his convenience store, right where he worked, and yes. shot him. His brother told uh, the local media, and the incident was all caught on security footage. What right. what the details on some of that? So what we have here is basically um, these two fellows uh, walk into the store, uh, apparently to rob the store, and wind up shooting the shopkeeper, who, whose name you mentioned, a 35-year-old gentleman, um, shot him dead, cold blood, in his store. The, the video that I saw doesn't show the shooting itself, but it was released on CBS News New York uh, YouTube video from the surveillance tape that the police right. released. You see the men coming in. You don't see what happens, but then you see them run out of the store, uh, apparently in a red or maroon Jeep Cherokee. And this happened at 7.53 in the evening on Saturday. So here again, a beautiful summer night in New York City, Staten Island uh, neighborhood, borough, I'd rather, of New York. And the uh, guy's doing his own business. He's, he's started his store. Raising a family. And he's young. 35 years old, I think, right? 35 years old. He's 30. He's young. He's only 35 years old. Only 35. Two kids, a wife, family. Jeez. 
came here to now, start a new life, and then his life is cut short by some idiots with guns. Do we? It's, do we know if he wasn't? Was do you, was there any suggestion that he was targeted because he was an Arab, or because no. they just thought he was a good mark as a grocery, or you know, as a store owner, where they could get some money? Yeah, I think that's more the case. I don't believe it was targeted because of his ethnicity. I think it was the fact that they saw a potential, you know, the thing about I have to say, Ray, I've never, I've never robbed anybody, but if I was going to do that, I would point a gun and say, "Give me your money," then I run out of the place. Right, because you know when you use a weapon, it's bad enough, and then to kill somebody. Yeah. Yeah, you're if and you know that in most cases they can and they do find these people and it's the end of their lives, too. They end up going to jail now. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, unfortunately, if you believe in the death penalty or unfortunately, if you don't believe in the death penalty, um, they may or may not get a death penalty conviction um, when they're convicted of a lot of these shootings and they end up sitting in prison for 60, 70 years. And then 40 years from now, they'll be telling the media that, oh, I was just a good kid. I I didn't mean to do it. You know, after they've served all that time trying to explain away this stuff. Not to uh, mention all the money the taxpayers waste on these worthless pieces of garbage. Yeah, yeah, Um, because we... It reminds me of of Mark David Chapman, the man who murdered John Lennon. Yeah. In 1980, he's still sitting in prison in New York State. 40 almost 43 years later wow you know he'll, why? <laughs> why 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 are they still paying i mean killing anyone is wrong but if you take someone's life i kind yes. of firmly believe that you know eye for an eye yeah well in in the case of the yemeni victim uh the guy i think that uh hamoud, hamoud ali saida who's 86 i think yeah. uh one of his uh, relatives said that uh um, I think he said something to the effect that, you know, the shooter didn't just kill one person only. He didn't kill, you know, I guess it was his son. He said he just killed my father. He killed the whole community, my whole family. And they have like the guy yeah. is a patriot with a wife, six kids, 30 grandkids and 31 <laughs> great grandchildren now that are impacted by this one act of violence by this uh, suspect, Abreu, who, uh, Nobody can see him. Why would he do that? Just, Just uh, it was the saying, wrong place at the wrong time, right? Yeah. Now, violence and, uh, isn't new to America, is it? Oh, I think the country's founded on violence as sometimes it feels, doesn't it? Yeah, and there's um, this big debate about we got to get the guns off the street. But I, I don't know how you feel about it. But uh, what do you think are the prevailing attitudes about guns? Because you usually hear the two sides. Uh, arguing that you got to get rid of the guns to stop the violence. And then there are the people that are saying you get rid of the guns, but only the people who are, who obey the law, the law abiding people will stop buying guns, but the legal criminals are still going to get guns, right? No matter how they'll find a way oh, to yeah. get them. And they're the ones that are using the yeah. guns to kill people. Right. The old, the old saying, if you outlaw guns, only gun, only outlaws will have guns. Uh, we've heard that for years. I don't know. I think about Australia. I, years ago, they had was a fatal shooting at a school, and they just said, "That's it. No more guns." All right, they collected all the guns. And what happened? Guess what? Do you ever hear about fatal shootings in Australia anymore? 
I don't know. Maybe not. But is it it, now there are two kinds of violence, right? There's the violence that's a domestic violence. So you and your wife are having an argument. You happen to have a gun in the house and the gun becomes part of the anger. It's Mm -hmm. not an intentional you like you don't go up to somebody to kill them in most cases um, in these domestic violence incidents, although in most cases where a woman is killed, it's the husband who's the suspect, right? The first. Oh, yeah. But then the other act of violence. Yeah. But the other act of violence are these random ones that we're seeing, you know, increasing in cities like Chicago and New York and, you know, uh, Los Angeles and Florida and all all across the country where it involves a uh, gangbanger, somebody who's trying to get even with another gangbanger. Those people, I mean, you're going to ban guns. You think they're not going to use guns again? What do you, I mean, not you, I but think I mean the public. Have, they'll still have their guns. But, you know, the law-abiding citizens, if it comes down to it, will turn in their weapons. But there'll still be a fraction of people, mostly the bad guys, who keep their guns or find a way to get their guns, right? Yeah. So. There's no end to it. I don't. I don't see what the end is. I don't know how to end it. I'm looking up some stats here about New York City, mm. and um, this is this is from the New York City Police Department that actually, for the first quarter of 2023, the New York City saw a reduction in the number of murders, um, 12.7 percent, 89 murders versus 102 a year earlier, but still, that's 89 too many, right. <laughs> you know. Um, Chicago, I, I don't have the Chicago stance at the ready right now, but I know living here, it's got to be up. Don't you think so, Ray? Well, I think that uh, I was reading something where there, like this past weekend, there was something like 27 people were shot and five were killed in uh, weekend gun violence uh, just <laughs> over the 4th of July uh, this past week. It was like, I mean... You know, maybe those numbers are routine. You know, I don't know. Sometimes, what do they have in Chicago? Some 600 to 700 gun-related killings every year. I don't know what that compares to with foreign countries, but um, obviously it's a big concern. It's a big concern. And this whole, this whole, uh, this terrible story out of New York, the two terrible stories out of New York, reminds me of an event that I covered. This had to be, Good Lord, probably 25 years ago. I was working for the South Town. Now, for our listeners, Western Avenue is not trivia for you. It's the longest street in Chicago. Western Avenue uh, in the South Side, there's a lot of car dealerships. Um, We're talking, you know, Brighton Park area, neighborhood. And these two Arab-American gentlemen ran a used car lot, which is not unusual there. There's a lot of them on that stretch of Western Avenue. Right. And about 25 years ago, I remember clearly it was in the winter. Some masked gunmen came in to rob them because car dealers have a lot of money on usually on site. Right. And he shot them both in cold blood. And I I covered that uh, the burial the next day because, you know, with custom the next day. And it was a very cold, bitter winter day. And my heart was just breaking, just covered. I know we're not supposed to be involved in the stories, but I was so right. sad to cover this because these two young men, they're like my age in their 30s at the time, dead because of some idiot with a gun. So, I mean, uh, just because there's an act of violence doesn't necessarily guarantee 
that the perpetrators, the people that are behind the violence, are actually going to get caught. Even though the police do investigate all this, it doesn't mean that somebody is going to be prosecuted, correct? That's absolutely correct, Ray. I'm reminded of a shooting in a, a Chicago suburb uh, called Tinley Park. It's south of the city. 15 years ago, February of 23, five women were shot dead in the Lane Bryant women's clothing store. The man who shot them, there's an artist rendering for, you know, from surveillance and stuff, but uh, he's never been caught. That's 15 years. Wow. So you think about that. Yeah. And then in the case of these two Arabs, they did get the guy that killed the uh, elderly Yemeni gentleman. Yes. Uh, They did get him, but, have have they arrested? They haven't. Have they found anybody in the killing of the Jordanian? That young Jordanian Not man yet. that got killed. Not yet. Just have two masked men in a red or maroon Jeep Cherokee, which I'm sure there's a few thousand of those in New York City. Um, yeah, and and because it's not a hate crime, it probably doesn't get the same priority, does it? As I don't uh, think so. A hate I, crime I think, elevates it, doesn't it? Yeah, hate crimes always seem to notch it up a few levels you know when when there's hate crime involved because the um, community gets involved and i don't i we in this i know you looked into this but i looked into it too i couldn't see anything from you know arab american leaders speaking out about these two incidents other than that they're tragedies nobody yeah, because it wasn't find, a hate crime right yeah right i was looking for that same information when i did the story i was trying to find information like was there a staten island business association or something outraged i haven't found anything yet okay um all right and you're go ahead it's sad because you know this will happen again that's the sad part that saddens me and everybody should be sad by that it's going to happen again and again and again and this look at the school shootings in this country that's a whole other thing we could talk we could talk 20 hours on that one and and i know that uh, i saw a couple uh stories of uh I covered a couple for Arab news um, involving uh, uh, Saudi Americans who were college students. Um, one was killed by a woman who tried to rob him. Um, another was killed in suspicious circumstances. And again, they, they happen to be Arab, but I'm not sure they were targeted because they were Arab. And that kind of puts it in a different category, right? Because uh, as yeah. you pointed out, that uh, hate crime it really jacks up the intensity of the community response and the police. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. We've had uh, hate crimes. And it, you know, it's not always just uh, ethnic. It, hate crimes against gay people. Um, it also gets a lot of attention because yes. it's focused. It's targeted, if you will. It, it's targeted. Where this, these two, I, I don't think... There's, there's no mention of it by the police, especially the man, the gentleman walking down the street. Right. He just happened to be in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Yeah. And the shopkeeper was probably seen as an easy mark, as they say. Let's go in there. And, but, but, but then again, why shoot the man? Yeah, it is I terrible. Just I just don't understand. So the bottom line, just to conclude all this, is uh, this, this it doesn't look like these were hate crimes. They just happen to be victims of this wave of violence that we're seeing across the United States, which guns are used, um, it may fuel the debate, right, about whether uh, 
banning guns or, you know, will have an impact or not have an impact. But um, as far as the it looks correct that uh, this is not a hate crime. So Arab Americans in New York don't have to sit there and say, uh oh, there's more uh, that we have to be watching our backs. This wasn't about them being Arab. Right. I, I, it's not has not been classified as a hate crime. Uh, but um, it's still a terrible both are terrible situations. Yeah. All right. All right. Listen, my guest, Steve Metch. Steve, uh, I appreciate you joining us here at the Ray Hanania Radio Show. We're broadcast on the U.S. Arab Radio Network, sponsored by Arab News, every Wednesday at 5 p.m. in Detroit and in Washington, D.C. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the program. We're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I'll have some concluding words. But uh, Steve, thank you for joining us on the radio show today. Thank you for having me. And this is Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue the radio show here at WNZK AM 690 Radio and WDMV AM 700 Radio in Detroit and Washington, D.C., uh, broadcast on the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Kashat's Mediterranean Market in Shish Kebab offers a great array of your favorite Mediterranean meals. Meals range from lamb specialties, shawarma sandwiches, and seafood dinners. Plus, they offer big trays of your favorite food and so much more. Kashat's Mediterranean Market in Shish Kebab is located at 32839 Northwestern Highway in Farmington Hills and is open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So stop in or call Kashat's today at 248-538-9552. That number again, 248-538-9552. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab will definitely leave you satisfied. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Ray Hanania Radio Show broadcast at WNZK AM 690 Radio and at WDMV AM 700 Radio in Detroit and in Washington, D.C. and on the U.S. Arab Radio Network sponsored by Arab News at ArabNews.com. Um, I will be back next Wednesday, 5 p.m., Eastern time with more guests and more discussions about Arab Americans. In the meantime, enjoy your week and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye everybody.